Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 200th episode of the Friends and Fiction Show. We are all so excited to be together with you live tonight, Wednesday night. We have got an incredible show in store for you. So let's get rolling. I am Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Kristen Harmel. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And this is Friends in Fiction, four New York Times best selling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. On this week's live show, we are thrilled to welcome our first 2024 featured author of the month. Kristen Hanna, and to discuss our first Friends in Fiction pick of the month for January 2024, Kristen's highly anticipated epic novel, The Women. But first, just a quick reminder to check out all the fun things going on in our Friends in Fiction community at friendsandfiction.com. There you'll find our show schedule, details on any upcoming in-person events, plus links to our bookshop.org page, to the Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa, to our merch store and book subscription box, and to our weekly email newsletter sign up. We have a lot going on, you guys. Exactly. <laughs> in other words, if you want to know more about anything that Friends in Fiction offers, and we offer a lot, be sure to check out friendsandfiction.com. Now, before we bring on Kristen Hanna, we have a few other special guests who are popping in to help us celebrate a major Friends in Fiction milestone. The four of us launched this show in the beginning with the help of our fifth author friend, Mary Alice Monroe. And we couldn't have gotten it to where it is today or even keep it running without two very important people, Ron Block and Meg Walker. Sean, will you bring on Mary Alice, Ron, and Meg? Hi. 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 Happy 200, 200, 200. Did we even imagine? No, we never thought. We- we never thought we could keep this puppy going. You know, sure we, get through the sure summer. We thought there'd be two. Let's, I know. I so distinctly remember our initial plan was seven. We were going to do seven episodes. Yes. <laughs> and here we are. I'll never forget the question what's a Zoom? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, we. it's amazing how much the world has changed, but that was the thing. Yeah. I mean, we. I mean, I'd been on like two Zooms in my entire life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> well, as Patty mentioned, we want to pause tonight and recognize this incredible moment. Yeah. Because as we may have mentioned already, it's our <laughs> 200th web episode of the Friends in Fiction show. We started in April of 2020 and we had no idea what it would become or how important this community would be to us and hopefully to you all. Yeah, that's, that's so, so true. 
my gosh. So I remember when you first sent out the email, Mary Kay, and said, does everyone want to get on a Zoom? So here we are. Yes. Yeah. I think it was a... Go ahead. No, no, no. Go go ahead. I was going to say, when you think about it, we say 200 shows, but... All the podcasts, in addition to that, there's absolutely 400, right, Ron? Almost 400, at least 400 guests uh, for sure. Oh, uh, yeah. And more and beyond that because um, the podcast, right from the beginning, they were they were part of it. Yeah, that's amazing. 400. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. Let's all raise a glass. And hey, I'm doing, I'm doing a pop. Oh, we need a pop. Oh, yeah. oh. Yes. Oh, look at your glittery bottle. Cheers, <laughs> everybody. Cheers. 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 Cheers, Mary Alice, Ron, Meg. We couldn't have started this. This has been just life changing. I think for all, us, yeah. for all of us, love yes. you, yes. and we thank you for everything. Thank you to everybody listening, watching. It's, it's just amazing. And cheers to the Fab Four for keeping it going. Yeah. We love you, Mary Alice. Yeah. We miss you. We love you. We miss you. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. All yeah. right, cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody. All right. So we have quite a show in store and a lot to get through. So, oh, I was going to say, so let's say our goodbyes to our special podcast. <laughs> 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 Sean super dismissed it. Yes. Bye, guys. Bye, Ryan. Bye, bye. Bye, Meg. We love you Thank guys. You guys. Good night. <laughs> All right. Now, as some of you might recall, those of you who have been with us from the beginning, before we had Sean to save us, before the world was very fluent in Zoom, Kristen Hanna was our very first author guest that we ever welcomed onto Friends in Fiction. And boy, were we a tiny bit tech challenged back then. <laughs> Sean, I think you still have a screenshot from that June 2020 show. And I have to say, we brought it up. <laughs> oh my God. Kristen is on the phone. phone. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard. I look like I might be dying. Mary Kay, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like I'm gagging on something. <laughs> Maybe you were. <laughs> it's awesome. But as Sean said a minute ago, he said, yeah, I was wondering what kind of train wreck y'all were. So <laughs> since Kristen Hannah was our first guest, we thought it would be fitting and beautiful that she is now our 200th guest with her newest novel that you might have heard about called The Women. Oh, she has a new book? <laughs> I had to <laughs> <heard. laughs> about it. <laughs> I know you know her, but indulge me as I give you some Kristen Hanna background. She is the award-winning and best-selling author of more than 20 novels, including the international blockbuster The Nightingale, which was named Goodreads Best Historical Fiction for 2015 and won the coveted People's Choice Award for Best Fiction in the same year. Additionally, The Nightingale was a selection of Reese Witherspoon's book club just this past year in 2023. It was named a best book of the year by Amazon, iTunes, BuzzFeed, The Wall Street Journal, Paste, and The Week. In 2018, The Great Alone became an instant number one New York Times bestseller and was named the best historical novel of the year by Goodreads. The Four Winds was published in February of 2021 and immediately hit number one on the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Indie Bookstore's bestseller list. Additionally, it was selected as a book club pick by both the Today Show and the Book of the Month Club, which also named it their Book of the Year. I mean, it's exhausting. So... <laughs> 
the good things. There's so many. It's amazing. The Nightingale is currently in production at TriStar with Dakota and Elle Fanning set to star. And they've also optioned The Great Alone, and it is in development. And Firefly Lane, her beloved novel about two best friends, was the number one Netflix series around the world the week it came out. And we are going to talk about some other movie news later in the show. I feel like so, we had her the week Firefly Lane came out. We did. We did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so funny. she was number one in yeah. like six places. She was number one in like everything. It was like hardback, paperback, yeah. Netflix, yeah. like. Yeah, she needed our help. So I'm glad that it we was that we yeah, kind of pushed her yeah. over the edge. We were yeah. the wind beneath her wings. Yes. Yeah. 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 Certain. So her new novel, The Women, is at once an intimate portrait of a coming of age in a dangerous time and an epic tale of a nation divided. It will be in stores everywhere on February 6th. And we are so thrilled and honored to have Kristen here to discuss it. So we can stop talking about her and talk <laughs> to her. Sean, without further ado, could you bring Kristen on? Hi. Hi, Kristen. Hi, guys. Hi. I feel like I'm wearing the same sweater that I was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> you wear it well. That one's baby blue. Maybe not quite, but anyway, how sad. Wow. <laughs> well, you look the same in four years, so that's good, right? Good news. Yeah, yeah. That's a bonus. All right, we're going to dive right in to talk about the women because we have so much to talk about and we want to take some live questions from everyone out there. So the women is a tale that spans decades and shows us that women can be heroes too. In 1965, we meet 20-year-old Frankie McGrath when she is living in sunny Southern California in a very safe life but she decides to join the Army Nurse Corps and join her brother in the fight in Vietnam. Although this is the story of Frankie, it is also about everyone whose stories have been forgotten in that war and in that era. So we're about to take a deeper dive, but first we really want to talk about the original inspiration for this book. I know because we've talked about it that you thought you might write a Vietnam book years ago, but decided it wasn't the right time. So what made now the right time? What happened in between? Well, so I first pitched a Vietnam story uh, to my then editor in 1997, following oh, wow. publication of On Mystic Lake. And I had a very brilliant editor back then who had actually been at Berkeley in 1968 and was very um, sort of dialed into this, the whole Vietnam story. And uh, she was a lovely, powerful, influential woman. And she said, basically, Kristen, you're not old enough and you're not good enough. Come back to me when you are. Wow. And, and I thought, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, okay. Uh, I knew probably that I wasn't good enough. Uh, I hadn't really considered that I wasn't old enough. But of course, in fact, it turned out to be absolutely true. And so I took this story that was uh, not exactly the women, but was a Vietnam era love story. And I put it aside and I kept waiting for the moment when I thought I was good enough to write this story that was so in my head and so in my heart. And I would come back to it every now and again. And it wasn't until March of 20, 2020, I had just, I had turned in the final, final, fi final version of The Four Winds, 
uh, Seattle went into the COVID lockdown and, you know, we were trapped in our homes. I live on a small island, so I was particularly trapped. And I was watching what was going on in the country. We were hugely politically divided. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of division. There was um, a lot of dissent. And it felt, it, it sort of reminded me of the Vietnam era, I think. So that was kind of in my head. And then I was watching um, our amazing medical personnel, our doctors, our nurses being overwhelmed, um, you know, standing up for all of us and being, I felt, undervalued, underappreciated, undersupported. And at that moment, um, it just clicked and I went, the women. I'm going to write my Vietnam novel is going to be about the women um, nurses, and that was that was really the beginning of that. Wow, Kristen, how much of that do you think was you growing up as a writer and it being the right time, and how much of it do you think was? Um, I mean, and basically another generation had passed. You're talking about 25 years ago. So, you know, we, we kind of went by another generation. Was Do you think that maybe just having that much more distance from the war made a difference too? Well, I think, you know, Kristen, like there was, so, so let me back up a little. I was in elementary school during the Vietnam War. So it cast a big shadow on my life, but not like a direct one. Um, my best friend's dad was a, a pilot who was shot down. And so when I was 10, I started wearing his prisoner of war bracelet, which means that every single day, year after year after year, I'm looking at the name and date of a man who was lost in Vietnam and never came home. So it was just, it was always sort of in my consciousness. And when the war ended, you know, I saw how the vets were treated when they were, when they came home, they were my friend's dads and that made a big impact. But following that, I saw what everyone else saw, which was nobody wanted to talk about Vietnam. They didn't want to read books about it. They didn't want to see movies about it. And if they did, they wanted Apocalypse Now. And, and even those took 15 years. So for a long time, it was very clear to me that as a novelist um, who likes to succeed, if possible, um, <laughs> yeah. it was clear that Vietnam was just a very dangerous topic. And so I knew all along that it had to be exactly the right story and that I had to be able to do it um, at a really high level. And so I kept questioning, am I there? Am I there? And I didn't think I was. And then finally with the pandemic and maybe me turning 60 and maybe it is the time and you know now I've got a, a grown son and I think I realize one of the great things about being a woman of a certain age is there is a big part of you that starts trusting your own voice, your own decisions, your own self a little more strongly. And I just thought, this is my moment. And I really want to shine a light on these women who, by the way, we are losing. Um, and it was really important for me to get this story out while they could read it. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I think the 
women you're talking about weren't just people you were thinking are going to read it at the end of this, but they're also people you talk to during the process. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we were talking a little bit in the green room before we went live um, about that, about that experience, about some of the things that surprised you. But I know you talked to Vietnam nurses and one in particular, Diana, who was responsible for the Vietnam Women's Memorial. Can you tell us a little bit about the research, those interviews with the Vietnam nurses and about your trip to Washington, D.C.? Well, I would love to. It's really, it's <laughs> it's probably one of the highlights of my life, really, to be oh, able wow. to, to be asked to do this. So the way this all worked was, you know, I did the research. I wrote the first draft of the book. And at that was the point, which it is in most of my books, where I realized, okay, I've gone out on a lot of limbs here. I've extrapolated, I've imagined, and, and a lot of people, for the first time with a historical novel of mine, there were going to be people reading it who had lived through this. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I've got to fact check this. I've got to, I've got to get more information. So I went online and started looking for nurses who I, who I felt could help me. And one of the research books I had read was called Healing Wounds by Diane Carlson Evans, who was a captain in the Army Nurse Corps. And I really just kind of stalked her. I mean, I, I went everywhere and left messages all around every you know website or email address I could find. And finally, I got an answer. And, you know, she said, are you really Kristen? And I said, are you really Diane? And you know, <laughs> we kind of went back and forth. And fortunately for me, she had read The Nightingale. And so she knew that I at least, you know, was a writer. And so she said, sure, send it. And she read it. Um, she was powerful and opinionated and clear and fast and, you know, so she read a couple of drafts and then at some point she said, you know, I think you're having some geographical issues. I think you need to speak to a helicopter pilot. And so she hooked me up with a helicopter pilot and his wife had been a Red Cross worker, a donut dolly. That's a great story. I'll tell you that in a minute. But anyway, and then they, uh, they sent me on to a surgical nurse. So I really met this large group. And then just as luck would have it, this was the 30th anniversary. And so they were having a big celebration in Washington, D.C., and Diane was speaking at the wall. And um, so there was this moment, I was speaking about it in the green room earlier, where I was standing there at night, freezing, you know, on the mall in front of the Women's Memorial, and there were probably 100 um, female Vietnam vets crowded around this monument, laughing and talking and hugging and telling stories. And, and I think I posted on my Instagram page, like, when was the last time you saw a sea of female Vietnam vets standing together? And it was just, I mean, I, w- I sobbed through the entire weekend. I was like, don't bother with makeup. It was. <laughs> I have chills. Yeah. It really was. And then uh, let me just briefly say this woman. So the helicopter pilot had been injured. And, you know, so he dealt with some nurses and he came home. And when he was at home, his wife passed away. Uh And so like 20 years later, there's another there's a Red Cross worker who has been looking for him to say 
thank you so much. It meant so much. Your friendship meant so much to me. And she could never find him. And so she's standing, I think it was the 20th anniversary, she's standing at the memorial and he gets up to tell his story and she says, that's his voice, that's him. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. And now they're married. (gasps) Oh my gosh. I was really hoping the story ended that way. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love that. Oh my gosh, okay. Night's over. Thanks, y'all, for yeah. coming. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I can't beat it. That was an unbelievable story. That incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, what is also incredible about this story, Kristen, is the setting. The sights, the sounds, the smells of this novel are so vivid that we see it like a movie. So first, there is the coastal setting of Coronado, where Frankie grew up in a very elite world of Southern California. And then, of course, there are the lush jungles and horrific battlefields of Vietnam. So how did you research two such opposite settings, and how did you create such immersive worlds with both of them? Um, well, I mean, sadly, I had to go to Coronado Island. Oh, and boom, boom. <laughs> some time on the beach. I hate that for you. I know. I, know. Um, I mean, Coronado, I know very well. I grew up in Southern California. And so the the beaches of California, you know, I had to research the 50s and 60s, um, you know, as an older person, because I only remembered like bubble gum and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but Vietnam was more difficult because, of course, I was writing this book during COVID. So right. there was no going to Vietnam. There was no sort of firsthand research, which is what I like to do. But fortunately... And I have a list in the back of the book. Fortunately, the memoirs that I read were just so um, so powerful and evocative that 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 really helped. And I lived in Kauai for like 20 years, so I understand a tropical rainforest pretty well. Yeah. Kawhi makes a guest appearance in the novel I know. without giving anything away. <laughs> like, I had to write one scene that I didn't need to research at all. So. Yeah. yeah. It was like, I know that beach. I know that beach. Shining yeah. moment. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, speaking of the sounds, you did an incredible job with the music of this time period, yeah. which is just so fantastic. So have you published a playlist anywhere that we can enjoy? <laughs> I intend to. That okay. is definitely on my to-do list. I've got, I guess I've got about three weeks to um, get on that. But yeah, it, that was fun. I had the same thing with Firefly Lane. You know, when you're dealing with the 60s and the 70s, I mean, that music is just so, so great. evocative. So I love good. it. Meg Walker just wrote in the chat, please do, please do make that playlist. <laughs> that, is her, that is her contribution. So, you know, I... Um, Kristen, we have the same editor, the amazing St. Genderlin, Jen Enderlin yes. at St. Martin's. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering what her influence, what, what did you say to her? I, I'm ready. And what did she say? No, actually, it was really interesting with Jen and with this. So, yeah, we, we have the same editor we have for what, like 20 years. I mean, it's been a long time. And I'm I'm a pretty solid, steady, straightforward kind of gal, and and I sort of put one foot in front of the other. Uh, but with this book in particular, following the Four Winds, I wrote the synopsis for another book, and I actually sold it to St. Martin's. 
And, you know, my editor and my agent both said, this is great. You should write this. We're excited. You know, get on it. And after four or five months of research, I sat down to write it. And I thought, this is a terrible idea. Um, I have absolutely no interest in writing this book. And I don't really want to. Um, but I did cash the check. So something, you know, we've got to do something here. And it just so happened that that week I was having, and again, this was all COVID. So we were doing these Zoom meetings, you know, for yeah. the first time. And so I had a meeting with Jen Enderlin, my editor, my agent, Andrea Cirillo, and Sally Richardson, who is um, a fabulous, yeah, big wig at St. Martin's, who I've loved forever. And so we're all talking, and and I'm trying not to, like, mention the elephant in the room, which is, P.S., I don't want to write the book I sold you. <laughs> and, um, and I said, so someone asked me, and I said, yeah, you know, I just, I'm not quite sure. And Sally smiled and she goes, well, you know, I've always wanted a Vietnam book from Houston. <gasps> oh, my goodness. I did you not. This and is so meant to be. It was crazy. like it gave me chills. And I said, well, funny thing, Sally. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of doing. And so that's how that all came. Wow. And, um, and then Jen did her usual, you know, fabulous editorial job, which almost always requires that I throw away half the book <laughs> and, and did indeed on this one. Count on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> that uh, makes me yeah. feel so much better about myself. I mean, like, because I feel like I do that every time, too. So, yeah. like, if Kristen yeah. has to do that, then it's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, Christy and I, you know, all of us, we get the, we have a text chain, and we're talking about what's going on with our book lives. And, and Christy has a new editor, and she was saying, you know, how the, uh, the anxiety of working with a new editor and wondering if it's going to go okay. And I said, the great thing about once you get used to a new editor is if they will tell you exactly what they're thinking. Yeah. And Jen Underwood is always going to tell you. <laughs> She's a sugar coat, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's important. I mean, several of us have written a lot of books over a lot of years. Yeah. And it is, I think, the only way to sort of stay in the game and get better every time is to demand the best of your editor and give yeah. the best back to her because yeah. it's pretty easy to start, you know, sort of resting or coasting and that's a dangerous place to be because it's a tough world out there. Yeah. yeah. I agree. No, well, and why do it? Right. Why do it if you're coasting? Right. Right. No, I completely right. agree. Like if you're not going to write your best, your next, your next best book, if it's not your next best book, yeah. then, what are we doing? Or if you're not scared of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I said to Kristen yeah. just yesterday, I don't know. I'm scared to death of this. And she was like, that means you should do it. That's the best I, line. I yeah. say all the time, like when people say, what was the best piece of advice you got on the show? And I'm like, I, I felt like when you came on the show the first time and you said, well, every few years you have to write something that terrifies you. And I was like on the fence about doing something that terrified me. And I was like, oh, she's that's that's for me. That's for me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, don't you find that it, in life in general, but in writing in particular, you hear the advice you need yeah. when you need it. Yeah, you sure. know, you can hear it a dozen times 
you know, people say, hey, you know, write what scares you. But at the moment when you're thinking about it, then the advice okay. resonates and you can say, okay, that this is the moment that I hear that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you're really lucky, you get to step into that moment. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and you get yeah. to say, and you get to say, okay, I'm going to do this. All right. Now for the question I'm supposed to ask you, which is a great <laughs> question. <laughs> an awesome question because it's the theme that runs through all of your novels, I think, which is women as heroes. You know, the, the idea that women can persevere and make a difference. But in the beginning of this book, Frankie's brother's best friend says offhandedly, women can be heroes too. And Frankie hears this as she stands in front of her dad's wall of heroes, photos of family members who have fought in American wars, and she wants to join that wall. I know you write often from theme, and I'm guessing this must have been one of them. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I've I've sort of gotten, with all of these books, I'm now able to sort of see my career in retrospect, which is a real gift, and it's it, it takes a long time to get there. And I realize now that I've really been writing about women persevering and finding their voice and standing up and being counted. I mean, from the very beginning, even back when, you know, my historical romance days and my early women's fiction days, it's just taken a while for me to take that woman, the woman I know, the woman I think I am, the woman I think my friends are, and put us in these historical contexts where you understand it's not just women being strong, it's women changing the narrative. It's women's voice making a difference in history. And it's us telling the women who came, who come behind us, don't stop fighting. Um, keep standing up, keep fighting for your rights because we're actually at a moment right now where it's, it's important again. And so, um, so yeah, I guess it's a theme, but it's also, I guess, kind of, I don't know, a life choice, a base belief. Um, I mean, something that I just think is really important. And you guys probably know more about this than I do with the amount that you read, but we are in this amazing moment in history where, where marginalized stories are being celebrated and pushed and and looked for. And I think that's such an amazing sea change. And so when I get, I don't know, negative or pessimistic, I remember that things are changing. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Well, speaking of themes, we would be remiss not to talk about love stories, not just between Frankie and a man or two, but also <laughs> love between Frankie and her parents and amongst Frankie and her friends. The ability to love and finally see the truth really permeates this novel. So did you know this would be an abiding theme going in? In other words, tell us a little about your writing process and how you dig into these deeper ideas. And we'll take notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's so interesting. So the original version, I mean, I can't do any spoilers, obviously. The original version of this was a love story. That's what it was intended to be. That's what I went into write. Um, it's what I often go into write, and I, I end up not quite doing that. Um, I think that what the book becomes and what it is now is actually the great love story the great soulmate story in this book is Frankie and her girlfriends. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, this is about the power of female friendship 
that finds itself in an impossible place and flourishes um, in unexpected, you know, settings and is the, the bulwark to the rest of your life. And, and I think, again, that's something that's come with age where I understand um, how important my girlfriends are. Um, and of course, you know, I have, you know, a romance background. I love love stories. It's important to me that Frankie, you know, finds love, but really it's her girlfriends that I think leave the ma the lasting mark in this book. Oh, that well, made me get teary-eyed. I know. I love that. And, you know, those of us on this screen, I think, know a thing or two about that. I think it was friendship <laughs> that got us all through For the sure. pandemic and through so many difficult times the last few years. It, it really, it, it is your friends who you lean on and rely on. And, Meg um, and wrote I, I, in the... Um, in the chat, she just wrote, amen. These women yeah. really get each other through hell. I loved them. Yeah. And let me just say, can I just say briefly as kind of an offshoot of that, I mean, we were laughing about sort of our first Zoom. And I mean, I'm the least techie person on the planet, so I don't even know why you reached out to me, but. <laughs> we don't know why either. I know. <laughs> Weird. But the thing was at that time, I mean, the world it felt so dangerous. It felt so uncertain. As writers, we didn't know what was going on. We weren't going to be able to tour. We weren't going to be able to go to bookstores. I had a book coming out. I didn't know if anyone would be reading. And, and you guys starting this and sort of reaching out and sort of creating this bridge where readers and, and writers could talk and bookstores could be a part of it. And, I mean, I just can't even tell you how important it was and and what a mark you guys made on the industry and, and on your friends and on other writers. So cheers to you. Oh, thank oh, you, Kristen. Thank what a kind friend. thing to say. And, coming and you on us, session. my friend. Yes. And you on us. Yes. Yeah, so thank you so much. Okay, so let's dive back in with another question here. Another theme, because we're talking about themes, another theme you explore in the novel is PTSD and how little it was understood in the 1970s, how people averted their eyes from the trauma, how they expected in a lot of cases for veterans to just get over it now that they were home. Um, but how on earth could they? I mean, as you show us in the book, they had literally seen hell. Uh, right. You talk to us a little bit about what you learned from doing that dive into learning about PTSD. Well, you know, I've written about vets and PTSD before, and yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah. I'm very invested in the idea that if we are going to ask um, people and families to make this kind of sacrifice for us, we need to support them fully when they come home. Um, so that has been something that's been on my mind for a long, long time. And again, it goes back to my childhood and me learning about PTSD and what it means, you know, like everybody else. Um, but this book, of course, is set in a time when they didn't really know what it was. They didn't really have a name for it. And what they did understand about it, in other words, this idea that um, you may have experienced something traumatic, they would not accept could have happened to a woman who had not been in combat, mm -hmm. right? So they all came home and had no help and they all came home and had no support. But I think the women were even a layer beyond that, even less supported. And then on top of that, with a woman like my character of Frankie, you have a woman 
who grew up in the 1950s and was trained and raised to be a good girl and and felt herself to be a good girl. She went to war as a patriot and came home a pariah. And, you know, everyone just kept saying to her, forget about it, you're home, just go on. And so she is sort of um, the poster child for, I am trying, I am really trying to forget about this and go on, but I can't. And it isn't really, and I mean, that's the whole arc of the novel is, is Frankie realizing that that is not good advice, that she can't take it, and that she is going to have to find a way to help herself because there's no one to help her. And once she does, um, you know, find a way to, to talk about this, to communicate it, she immediately begins helping, you know, other women who are having this issue. And so I think, you know, what it really, the novel really talks about, like whether it's alcohol abuse, substance abuse, depression, whatever, whatever it is, you can't just ignore it and hope it goes away. Such a good point. Yeah. Well, <laughs> on a more cheerful note, <laughs> <laughs> um, before we take start taking some of the live questions, can you update us about all the movie and TV show news? Because yeah. there was some big news out today, right? Yes, there was big news today. So uh, this, and this is, surprising in all my years I've never you know had anything like this happen um, Warner Brothers came after the women long before it was published when it hadn't been submitted we were trying not to sell it we were trying to keep it close until it came out and they just there's the um, a producer an executive at Warner Brothers who did Barbie and she just loves the book and so I'm hoping that the the year of the woman and you know uh, extends to the women. So oh, that's, that's really cool. So um, exciting. That's always fun. Everyone is interested in the nightingale, and I mean it's just such a difficult topic because I don't have complete answers. Yeah. We were a week away from starting filming in Budapest when we got locked down in March of 20. It seems like March of 20 was a big month for me. Um, just talking about all this. And so it got shelved. And then when it was ready to gear up again, then the writers went on strike. And then the actors went on strike. So yeah. I believe, um, optimist that I am, that 2024 is the year that The Nightingale will actually be filmed. Um, but we will see. I will say it's been an amazing year for kick-ass adaptations like Lessons in Chemistry. And, you know, so that's very exciting. Daisy Jones and the Six. So I guess I'll have to watch other people's books for a while. <laughs> I'm sure what will happen is all of yours will come out at the same time. Right. right. And, and, and you had Firefly well, Lane. You had Firefly Fly Lane, Fly Lane that came out like in between all that also, right? Yeah. So that was something. That was fun. I mean, it's it's interesting because I don't know how all authors do it. I'm not particularly involved. Um, I mean, it is all I can do to live a good life and write books 
as I want to, you know, and something has to give. I, I'm not going to give up travel. I'm not going to give up family time. I'm not going to give up girlfriend time. And something has to give for me to do any more than I'm doing. So at the moment, you know, I leave the, the movie business to the movie people, which means that I don't have a whole bunch of, you know, insider information. Yeah. Hmm. We'll wait for it to come out. We're fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. We have so, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say, Christy? Oh, just that we'll be surprised with everyone else. It'll be great. Yeah. yeah. We don't have to know everything. <laughs> yes, we do. All right. So um, we'll just ask you later. All right. We have so many live questions and hundreds and hundreds of people watching. So we're going to grab a couple of them. <laughs> wow. He's so easy. <laughs> okay. Why don't you go first? Oh, okay. Um, well, here is a great one from Claire Plaxton. And this is so apropos to what we were just discussing. What, Kristen, what would you say is the best way for us, all of us watching, to help vets? Oh. oh. Well, I think, I think first and foremost, you know, we recognize them and we thank them. That is, you know, first and foremost, we... We let them know how much we appreciate the sacrifice that they're making and how important it is for everyone. Um, and then I think, you know, we need to set aside the kind of funding and mental health and physical health, um, physical therapy. We need to support them financially, emotionally, and, and however otherwise we need to when they come home. The vets and their families, by the way, because I'm a big believer in the families are sacrificing and, um, you know, helping out in a great deal, a great way as well. Yeah, for sure. All right. Stephanie Wilson wants to know, what was the most surprising thing, I love this, about the Vietnam War that you learned while you were writing this book? The most surprising thing. So I would say because I had, you know, a fair amount of knowledge about it, the thing that kept surprising me was I would read the memoirs um, from the, the female vets. Most of them were nurses. Some were Red Cross workers. You know, there were, there were other women over there, but the lion's share were nurses. And, and in reading their um, accounts of coming home, I knew, of course, that vets had been treated badly. Um, I had seen that. It had been on the news. But in reading their accounts and seeing over and over and over again, whenever they went either to other vets or to the Veterans Administration or to whoever it was they were talking to, the answer was always there were no women in Vietnam and just sort of shut down any kind of help um, that they could get. And I was... I was really surprised. I thought maybe one or two, but it was very universal. Wow. And, you know, I was when I was at this thing in D.C. and talking, you know, to the vets, male and female, about the return, they really did start talking about being spit upon at the airport. Oh, my God. And I just, you know, it, it just, it breaks your heart, you know, to hear to hear these stories and to know that they, that they went through that after all that they had just gone through. It's heartbreaking. It is. And we, you show it so well. And even though you might know it's coming, 
you are just shocked mm-hmm. that they would yeah. be treated this way and that they had no idea what they were walking in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She thought she was going to come home to maybe a ticker tape. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Just this, this total stun. Um, Christy, you want to grab another live question? Yes, I love this one. And Kristen, I don't know if this is something that you can answer for us, but Elizabeth Jackson wants to know, is there an era that you haven't written about that you would want to write about? Oh, yes. Um, There are a couple of them. Um, I've long been fascinated with World War I, of course, because apparently, I don't know, I was a soldier in a previous life. I'm not (laughs) sure where this comes from, but that's something that has always fascinated me. I love um, the lost generation. I love the beat generation. So there are a few, um, a few left out there. I'm not even sure, honestly, that I'm going to write a historical novel next. I very, I, I may write a contemporary. Interesting. Ooh. We will follow you forever. Yeah, we will follow you forever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A futuristic space opera. We're in. Don't count me out. (laughs) Cats wearing a Christmas hat on a piece of pizza. (laughs) Who would do such a thing? Yes. So, Kristen, I have another question here from from Francine Katzen. She's she's curious about your process. She said, did Kristen write the book all the way through from beginning to end, or did she do it in different parts and piece it together? Oh, interesting. Um, So I have an incredibly unwieldy, unpleasant process. Um, I'm looking for a new one. Uh, If anyone has one, please just send me a post-it note. you don't want any of ours. I can no. tell you that. <laughs> Disaster area. No. It's so true. I mean, it, it is. It's just like this free-for-all. And I, I complained to my girlfriend, Megan, and she's like, yeah, it's working. Just go back and keep keep doing yeah. it. But um, in the old days, I mean, when I was a young writer, I was a new mother, and I was a very precise, very um, – plan-oriented, synopsis, detailed writer, because I had an hour a day to write during nap time. So everything had to be done in advance so that when I hit that, you know, hit the ground running with my one hour, I could write a book a year in that one hour a day. That's, and I did that for like five or six years. And then when my son was in, in school full-time, I started writing, you know, school hours, school days which was still not that much time because, you know, you got to eat lunch and they send them home all the time on a half day. (laughs) And (laughs) all the time. And then a snow day and then a hot day. And then there's like some rain that could be windy and they stay home. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so, so again, I was always really disciplined and organized. And then came, you know, that I'm, I'm 40 now and I can write whenever I want. And that coincided with Firefly Lane and the opening up of my career where I started writing about the women of my generation, Uh, not romances anymore. They were sometimes love stories, sometimes not. And I began to be a little more fluid um, with my process. Mm -hmm. And then came the Nightingale and the historical years where what I do now is like a year, roughly a year of research and, and praying for a story. Um, 
And then I write, I, I do a detailed outline, which I never look at again and is completely useless. And I write the first draft. And then I look at what works in the first draft. So like, for example, in the women, the first draft started when Rye and Frankie were nine years old and went through 10 years beyond what it was. Mm, so it started out as very much this, this love story between two people who were torn apart by the Vietnam War. And then I look at what's working and, you know, I'll say, well, Frankie's working and the war's working, you know, and, and I just keep paring it down and throwing away and recrafting mm -hmm. until I get to something that I send to Jen. That's about a one year process. And then I finally think, hey, this is pretty good. And I send it to Jen and she goes, yeah, pretty good. And, uh, <laughs> Mary Kay's knowing laugh. I send it to her and say, could you please unsuck this? Because right now it sucks. Could you just put on the unsuck glasses and help? And, and it's the best thing ever because what she makes me do is unsee everything that I've been seeing for two years and look at it 10 feet from the left. Oh. And and that's actually my favorite part of the book. Ah, interesting. Okay. The most brutal wow. part. Yeah. Is. But it's when it becomes what I believe it was intended to be if I could just get out of my own way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. All right. I'm going to try and sneak in one or two more live questions because I think we have over a thousand people watching. So I'm dying to get some of these questions in. But one of our very faithful friends and fiction ladies, probably here since the very first show. Um, it has a birthday today. So we want to say happy birthday to Debbie Cooperman Stone. But also Barbara Logic. I know, happy birthday. <laughs> um, and Deb Barbara Wojcik wants to know, which was the hardest book of yours to write and why? Great question. I wanted to know that too. I'm glad you pulled that one. Yeah. The hardest book of mine to write ever was Fly Away. And I think it was because I never should have written it. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So what had happened was um, Firefly was like super successful, like not at next level at the time. <clears throat> and and I just kept writing and I kept writing and I kept writing. And I always wanted to write a sequel to Firefly Lane. Um, but I didn't really have an idea and I just kept writing and writing. And so then at some point I spent like eight months on what would have been my first historical fiction novel. Um, it was set during the Bolshevik Revolution. Mm -hmm. And so I did this whole Bolshevik revolution thing and I sent it into Jen. I would keep doing it so I could keep saying Bolshevik. Oh. <laughs> Bolshevik. Okay, go ahead. And my editor said, this isn't special enough. You haven't, whatever it is you want to say, you haven't found it. And the thing that was really frustrating about that was I knew it. I knew mm -hmm. I hadn't found it, but I thought I could like make it look like I had, you know, like <laughs> yeah. get in the right sentences. And yeah. 
And it was a huge risk to then write about the Bolsheviks, you know, following, I can't remember what book it was. And um, so then I was in a panic. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to, I have to write a book. And this was back when I was writing a book a year and I've lost all this time. And so I thought I'm going to write the Firefly Lane sequel, which everybody has been asking for. And, and I must've written eight of them. And it just, it, for some reason, you know, I tried to, I tried to really own it. I tried to make it be what I wanted it to be. I never quite felt like I stuck the landing. Mm. Well, I bet there's some people out there who love it anyway. It's yeah, something absolutely. you know, and yeah. I bet we can yeah. all say that about each of our yep. novels. Yep. But yeah. Kristen, this has been an absolutely incredible night. Oh, I is it time already? I know. Oh, I just looked at the clock and I was like, no way. It is like two <laughs> seconds. <laughs> because you have to talk about your tour and you have to tell everybody in our community where they can find you on the road and online in the next coming weeks. Because I know we've been really careful not to talk about spoilers and <laughs> As the book starts to come out, I know people are going to want to talk to you. So tell us where to find you. I'm so excited. Um, so let's see. I am going to be in Costa Mesa, California, Seattle, New York, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Denver, and Dallas in the next two weeks. Um, but I'm real. Well, not the next two weeks. Wait, starting February. Starting February. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, people always ask me, like, I'm on Instagram, and and it's me. So I can't guarantee that I'll answer your question, but I try, and I, you know, I try to tell people what I can and, and sort of give the information, and I love hearing back from people. So that's it. We're so okay. excited, and we really, we're going to hold you to the to the music list oh, yeah. we're gonna, we're gonna we make sure see. that you get that up yeah. Kristen we wish you best of luck on the road and may this Great. book soar with eagle's wings and congratulations on everything and thank you so much for joining us for the 200th yes. show thank you so much and again thank you guys you are rock stars and um this was really fun and usually I'm like well I'm ready to leave but I really could like keep going <laughs> Us too. I know. Us too. too. So much more we could ask. It's going to be awesome. We can't wait to watch all the movies too. It's going to be great. I know. know. Exactly. It's so exciting. Me too. At some point, I'm going to do like some fangirl casting. So feel free to uh, chime in. We'll chime in. Meg is already casting it, by the way. Uh, where where are her choices here? Let's see them. She just said, said I, I have, have ideas. ideas. Okay, Meg, give us one solid. Just give us Meg, one of your ideas, Meg. Meg is off camera, but come on, Meg, spit something out for us. <laughs> the I pressure is that. on, Meg. I'm so bad at that. Like I am too. I'm like, like that girl who was in that movie yeah, that had that thing like, oh, with the brown hair. You cast as so and so, and I'm like, I. Yeah. It's like my mind's a complete blank. Like I don't. I don't know. I just always say Emma Stone for everything. I just think she's. That's amazing. true. Not a bad choice. She can do everything. Yeah. So that's yeah, not great. That kind of covers everything. Yeah. So, All right, Christy. Oh. No, go ahead, Kristen. No, no, that's okay. All right. Come on, Kristen, you must have some thoughts. Well, I was just wondering when you guys all have books coming out. 
Oh, oh wow. That's a great question. Mary Kay. <laughs> I've got Summers at the Saint coming out from St. Martin's Press, May 7th. Is that the cover I see behind you? No, that's the cover. That's the cover of the Christmas book. I don't even have. Oh, I've got to get that. I've got to get that up. But um, hell, I just, <laughs> I just, I just finished the second pass. Um, copy edits. I'm so late. They're, they're. Um... Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Christy has a book coming too. Yep, and yeah. I have a happier life behind me here coming out June 25th. I'm so oh. excited. Can't wait. Yeah. And Kristen? Uh, yep, I have The Paris Daughter coming out in paperback on May 14th. And Patty? I have The Secret Book of Flora Lee coming out in paperback in April. So Yay. thanks, thanks for asking. Kristen. That was very was nice. Yeah. <laughs> that was very nice. Yes. Kristen, right, don't well, you have one idea for who Frankie could be? Oh, who do I think Frankie could be? I do. You know, I sort of like Florence Pugh. Oh, so do I. Oh, and she's so hot right now. Absolutely. Good one. That's a good oh, one. Oh, Meg, Meg, Meg agrees. agrees. Meg agrees. So you're good. That's all you, you need. Yeah. Meg Walker, Meg, seal of approval. Stamp of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, now that you've had the pleasure of hearing from Kristen, we encourage you to rush out and pre-order your copies of The Women if you have not already, which we hope you have. And as we've said, it will be in stores everywhere on February 6th. The perfect place to pre-order is in the Friends and Fiction shop on bookshop.org. Not only will you be getting the book at a discount, but you'll also be supporting this show and our beloved independent booksellers, most importantly, and Kristen, most importantly of all. <laughs> all Thank right, Kristen, so we will let you go. Thank, Thank you, you so Kristen. much. Thank you for coming. Thank so you, everybody. You. This was fabulous. So This fun. really was. Yeah. Oh, My face hurts from smiling. I know. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Kristen. Okay, y'all, before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you about the Friends and Fiction newsletter. Don't go anywhere just because Kristen's gone. We have important <laughs> things to say. We're still here. <laughs> We're still here and we have important things to say. This week, we have two issues of the newsletter. Our regular free issue went out today and included book recommendations from each of us, links to watch or listen to the current shows, news about our merchandise, the subscription box for the new books this year, and our book club. On Friday, we will send out our first issue to paid subscribers. And I'm telling you, you do not want to miss this issue. There is a writing tip from Krista Hanna, book recommendations from Kristen Hanna, lots of other amazing tidbits. Plus, we have a roundtable discussion from the four of us about where our book ideas come from. Kristen is talking about three of her characters she'd like to have dinner with. And there will be a little clip from our green room. So visit our website for the link to sign up so you can get all of that. And Meg will share the link in the comments and we hope you'll subscribe. And lots of you have already. So thank you to all of you who already have subscribed. We're so excited and we cannot wait. We hope you love our newsletter. We've worked really hard on it and we're really excited. Yep. So we also hope that you will follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group that is now nearly a quarter million members strong. Oh my gosh. And find links at our socials at friendsandfiction.com where you can also stay abreast of our upcoming guest lineup and in-person events. We have some great in-person events coming up. You can shop our merch store and order our 2024 book subscription box from Oxford Exchange, which we would appreciate immensely. 
<laughs> Absolutely. But you it's would appreciate awesome. it. People out there will appreciate it immensely too when yeah. that beautiful signed hardcover book arrives well, at their door. And the beautiful <laughs> couch that, oh my gosh, I'm getting, yeah. I can't wait to show y'all next week. Well, and Oxford <laughs> Exchange, they just do a beautiful job with the packaging and it'll arrive. Mm-hmm. It just looks like a beautiful little gift when it gets there. So we have details on our website too about the Friends in Fiction Official Book Club with Brenda and Lisa. We hope you are following them on their separate Facebook page and Instagram feed. Their next live author discussion is coming up on Monday night, January 22nd, live on their Facebook page at 7 p.m. Eastern with author pair Christine Platt and Catherine Wigington-Green to discuss their book, Rebecca, Not Becky. And now to all of our viewers and listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you love the Friends in Fiction show, we hope you'll leave a rating or review and remember to tell a friend. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, you can catch all our back episodes and never miss a thing. (laughs) And when you subscribe to our podcast, you you can listen to it at home or on the go in the car like I do. It's like having friends in fiction in your pocket or in your earbuds. You can take us with you wherever you go. (laughs) Now be sure to tune in next week as Patty and I sit down with bestselling author Abbott Kaler to discuss her spellbinding fiction debut, the creepy and much buzzed about thriller, Where You End. You can catch that interview airing in video format at 7 p.m. Eastern on January 24th on the Friends in Fiction Facebook page and our YouTube channel. And it will be posted to our podcast for your listening pleasure on Friday, January 26th. All right. I think that rounds it out for the night. What an incredible night. So thank you and good night, everyone. Good night. night. Good night. Happy 200th. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.